are sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello? Hey guys, this is Bill at Arcat. All of us at Arcat would like to congratulate you guys at the Arcaspeak podcast on their 100th episode. It's a great podcast, as all of you know, so spread the word. Congratulations, guys. We're all looking forward to the next 100 episodes. See ya. Hello? Hey, guys. This is Neil Barman calling from Victoria, B.C., Canada, and I just wanted to thank you for so many great, interesting, informative, thought-provoking, and usually pretty entertaining shows. You've done a great service for the community, architectural community, of course, and keep it up. And I must say, I'm always amazed that you have something else to talk about, but you do, and I appreciate it. It keeps a great discussion going. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Archispeak, a fortnightly podcast about all things architecture. My name is Evan Troxell, and I'm one of your hosts along with Neil Pan and Cormac Phelan. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in the profession of architecture? Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and don't know what you're getting yourself into, or perhaps you know exactly what it's like because you've been working in the profession for a long time, and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about our passion, architecture. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to a very special 100th episode of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Arcaspeak is sponsored by Arcat. Check out all the features they offer over at ARCAT.com. And we'll talk a little bit more about them later in the show. But first up, we have a friend of the show to announce. We've got a brand new friend of the show here, and that is Rod Werner. And I'm going to read Rod's message because it's actually not Rod. This is, this is a message from Rod's dog. This message is from Molly Wigglesworm. Molly is a two-year-old pit bull slash Chattahula leopard dog mix who loves the podcast because her doggy daddy... Rod Werner, a.k.a. Vado Retro, always takes her for a longer walk every morning, every Monday morning, so he can listen to the fortnightly Arcaspeak podcast. Nice, nice working in of the word fortnightly. Thanks, Rod. <laughs> he would, she would donate more, but she is a dog. So, Rod is down in Monroe, Louisiana. Thanks, Rod, for becoming a friend of the show, and we really appreciate it. If anybody else would like to become a friend of the show and get your message and name read on the air, we would love to hear from you. You can head over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate. Any donation over $5, you have the choice to get your name read on the air, and by becoming a friend of the show, you have our eternal gratitude because this show is supported by you, the listeners, and our sponsors. So head on over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate and donate today thanks very much all right so today we're going to do something a little bit different and since we always talk about life in architecture and things like that we want to talk about we want to talk to there you go you neil your first edit uh, we want to talk to oh no that's staying in <laughs> all right <laughs> anyway cut that out we want to talk we want to talk to the originator of the architectural blog 
somebody who's always talking about life of an architect. We want to welcome on board uh, Bob Borson. Awesome. Neil, you're going to add a bunch of crowd noise to that oh, yeah. moment? <laughs> yeah, if I, if I can figure out how to Huge. edit that in, sure, you bet. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> How did you get so lucky to get the the domain name? Because really, that's where it all started, right? Lifeofanarchitect.com. Well, you know, the irony of it is, uh, I thought about that for about five seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Punched it in, it was available, and I took it. I will freely admit that I lucked into that. Yeah. Because I didn't know how any of this stuff worked, which is actually why I started doing it in the first place. And I didn't realize just how good of a URL that was. And I'll, I'll tell you, since I just got to doing a bunch of back-of-house research on my site, that the phrase life of an architect is the most popular keyword by about a factor of four over number two. Wow. Yeah. What's number two? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, honestly, I think it's how much do architects make. Wow. Nice. So, I, I mean, I think what's interesting that the part that stuck out to me when what you were just talking about was that you just started to do it because you didn't know how to do it, right? It was all new. And I, I kind of approach projects that way, too. What can I do on this thing that will make it a little bit different? So is that is that kind of what drove you to just beginning was just trying to figure it out? Or did you have a master plan? I mean, I guess the topic tonight is really just about social media and blogging and all that kind of stuff that comes along with some of the things that we do. But I mean, it it all had to start somewhere, right? Yeah. The, uh, the story that I share with people, it was Christmas of 2009. And I was talking to a, a good friend of mine who's an attorney and he specializes in teaching other attorneys how to use technology to do their jobs better. And so we were having some conversation. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, but he said He's the exact. I mean, this is probably verbatim, even though I couldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. But he goes, just subscribe to the RSS feed and put it in your Google Reader. And I literally had no idea what he just said. I didn't know what a Google <laughs> Reader was. I'd never heard of an RSS feed. I, I oh, rest in peace, Google Reader. Come on. I had no idea what any of these things were, <laughs> and it it made me feel technologically irrelevant. You know, that I think I was about 42 years old at the time. I mean, 32 years old at the time. (laughs) And I thought, have I become stagnant? You know, have I, have I moved into the area where I have a great deal of comfort in doing what I do? And so as soon as we had that conversation, I realized that this was something I needed to fix. And I think I had my website up and running in about four days after that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it is pretty quick to to get through that. But but take us through some of the thinking after you got lucky and registered a domain name and got that site online. I mean, now now you've got it, and and the crowds just start flocking in, right? <laughs> Hardly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. The that that is kind of typical thinking sometimes. Yeah, you know the okay. So the the continuation of that story is, and everybody who has ever started a blog ever in their life, you know, they have like two main concerns. Uh, that I believe one is, will anybody actually read it is the first fear. And the second fear, which quickly follows the first one is if they do, will they think you're an idiot? Yeah. So I, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have a platform that I felt needed a voice. I just was doing it because I wanted to learn how to do it. And I, I took a class when I was in college, uh, down at 
the University of Texas in Austin, and uh, one of my professors taught this class called Architecture and Society, and he came out on the first day, and he was just telling a, uh, a story about the how he decided to name this class, and it was, the architecture part was because we're all wanting to be architects, and uh, we're going to talk about architecture a lot, and the and society part he thought is what gave him the latitude to talk about whatever else he wanted to. <laughs> so when I sat down to come up with life of an architect, that uh, literally that, that story went through my mind. And so the life of an architect name, I thought would give me the latitude to talk about what it is that I do for a living. But if I wanted to talk about something else, I had that latitude since it was the life of an architect, not specific to actually practicing architecture. Yeah, I think that that's that's kind of important, right? Because you have to be able to pivot or change your mind along the way and meld it to what you have no idea what it's going to become. So having that kind of thought in the beginning is relatively important when you when you're just doing it for fun and to pique your own in your you know to to satisfy your curiosity and and be able to do what you want with it. Well, there's there's no question that 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 exchange, you know that. That idea of I needed to give myself the, the a window or the latitude to be able to talk about whatever I wanted was present from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I made the conscious decision to try to put a time limit on how much effort I put into writing the things that I was going to write. Because uh, I don't consider myself a very good writer. Actually, I consider myself a very poor writer, but I talk a lot. And so what I was going to try to do was to write a first person website, but I didn't want it to be a diary, but I couldn't pretend to be something that I'm not. And I like to think I have a pretty big vocabulary, but I don't like using words or jargon that people might not know, understand what the context is or, or what those words actually mean. Like the archa speak, you know, there are words that all architects know and they use them when they talk to other architects. So I decided that this wasn't going to be a website for other architects. And I wasn't going to use jargon or lingo when I wrote something. Mm. And, and those turned out to be really important decisions that I made. And I'm, and I'm glad I, I made them from the very beginning. Mm. Sounds like a lot of parallels to what and why we do what we're doing. I'm, I'm sure any of the ones that are successful or at least have some staying power, I, I would imagine they follow the same kind of track. Well, it's very similar to, as you said, Cormac, what we did here. I wanted to learn how to do podcasts. I bought a mic like, eight or nine months before we ever even even started. So I just wanted to try it and do it. And like Bob, I'm a horrible writer too. I think I am. I, I do okay occasionally, but I like to talk more. So the audio thing appealed to me. Well, I think it's just kind of natural that architects, especially when you get them in a group together, they kind of gravitate towards stories and, you know, just not really the necessarily the one upspin, but just sharing war stories. It's, same thing as I did when I'm sitting around the fire uh, talking to fellow soldiers that we just start talking and you know start telling stories and and kind of just commiserating with each other and and that's anytime I read the blog most of the time it's shaking my head saying yep yep I feel the same way yep yep (laughs) and that's hopefully what people get when they're listening to us is kind of feeling a little bit of camaraderie in some of the stories that we share and talk about. I'm sure that's it. So, but I, I take it from your comment that you guys have actually been to my website before. Uh, once or twice. <laughs> what, what's that URL again? Uh, you never know. 
I'm pretty sure my wife, my wife, I don't think has ever been to my website. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think my, my wife's ever listened to the podcast. Actually, I know she uh, hasn't. Yeah. Same here. And my wife's an architect. <laughs> Actually, the only time my wife has ever listened is when I edited and I was just like, okay, I want you to listen to make sure it flows right and that I haven't messed up. <laughs> and then about 10 minutes in, she was like, um, you might want to check that. Funny. So, so I think par- the hardest thing about any of this stuff is, is well, first of all, st- starting is actually pretty hard for most people because they can't imagine what they would talk about. When, when once you start, you just start talking, right? I, I think that that's kind of been the thing that keeps coming up in my household. And my wife's like, I, you know, what episode are you on? And then I say some relatively big number for podcasting, right? She said, "What can you possibly have to talk about still?" <laughs> Right. And and so, I mean, I would ask you the same question, Bob. When you started, you probably had no real, like, uh, outline of all the things you wanted to talk about. It's like you, you have to start somewhere, right? And then the second thing that is hard is sticking with it, I think. So, to me, that's really what sets some of these blogs apart from all of the rest is just the consistency. I agree with you on the consistency. I will confess that I never know what I'm going to write until I write it. I don't have an agenda or an editorial calendar, and I never. You say, yeah, sound very similar again. We we have we never know what we're going to talk about until we just start talking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, I I actually think that's actually a really important piece of information to consider, though, because all right, so to date, I think I just I wrote a blog post tonight. It'll go out tomorrow, and it was the seven hundred and seventy fifth article that I've written just on my site. Uh. And so you think about it, what could you talk about after 99 episodes? You got about 700 more to go. And then then you yeah. really start figuring out that it's it's in the beginning it was really easy to come up with topics because my wife would be the first one to point this out. I have about 100 stories in the bag that she's heard a thousand times. And the the anecdotes I, that I they're my go-to, everybody loves these stories. This that it is what it is. And it was really easy to crank out these, you know, you remember that time when I was in studio and blank happened? All this free advice. It was very easy to come up with. Well, now I've worked through all that low-hanging fruit. But the the point, and I, I took a long time to get there, was because I don't have an editorial calendar just like you don't, I think the the fact that you talk about whatever it is you're doing or what's on the top of your mind in that moment creates a certain level of spontaneity that these types of formats really benefit from. Mm-hmm. If it was more calculated, I think it would feel calculated as opposed to you running into your buddy, like by listening to this podcast and you feel like, Oh, I was listening to Cormac and Neil and Evan talk about such and such and such. It feels more natural and, you know, more, as you're you're part of this this circle of people that are commiserating over shared experiences, and if you didn't have that kind of spontaneity to it, I, I don't think it would come across. I mean, it would come across as a different type of show than what this one is. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's definitely something to that. I, I feel like it also takes the stress off of us of having to worry about preparing and doing the work that goes into preparing presentations, if you will. Right? I mean, there's. A, Personally, I put tons and tons of hours and work into preparing presentations that that ultimately have to come off perfectly. And in this situation, if that were the case, it would be overbearing 
enough to where I probably wouldn't want to do it. And so I think that is part of keeping it fresh and doable, right, is is keeping it light and loose, being able to talk about whatever we want to talk about, being able to switch the topic in the middle of an episode if we had to, if we wanted to. Uh, and then I think part of it is feeds right into what you were saying, which is this is the journey. Like this is not a recap of the journey. This is the journey. Right. Right. And so when our listeners have been listening to the show since episode number one, and I mean, our episodes usually end up around an hour. And as we alluded to before we began, we record for two or three. And if you extrapolate that out for a hundred episodes, I mean, you're looking at a lot of time and then you want to add all the time editing and posting and all the other stuff that comes along with it. This is a huge commitment. But what's really cool is going to like an AIA convention or a, or a, a Monterey Design Conference or somewhere where so, you run into somebody who says, I've been listening since the first episode. And what's so neat about that is like we actually have been on this journey together. And it, there, it, it's weird to me to hear somebody start listening at episode 94 and they're saying, I'm starting back at one and I'm going to catch up. To me, that's a really odd thing, right? Because like all that is the past and the internet doesn't forget, right? That's one thing about all this stuff is like you can always go back and you can listen to it all from the very beginning and you can catch up. But because of the type of the show it is, I mean, there are contradictions that have happened over time. There is a lot of change in thinking, but you don't go back and you don't update all that stuff. It's not Wikipedia, right? It's, it, it is a timeline of a journey. And so to me, it, it really, this is the right type of media for that. Like you said, it's, this is very conducive to that, but it, at the same time, like, I don't know that I would want it any other way because there's a lot of stress that comes along with that. Or I don't know if stress is the right word, but, but I would, I would be concerned about keeping something more encyclopedic or accurate as time went on, if it weren't so of the moment. I agree with that, but you made a comment that was surprising to me, that if somebody starts at 94 and they say, I'm going to go back and start at 1, that that seems odd to you. That seems perfectly normal to me. It just sounds like an overwhelming amount of work well, it's a, <laughs> to listen to. Uh, less so than recording it, I'd say. But yeah. you know, one of the things I would imagine you get, because I get it, and people don't have the luxury of listening to my dulcet tones talking about whatever it is that you guys talk about for 99 episodes. But this is part of them connecting with you as an individual and they feel like you're their friends, right? Like this is mm-hmm. your guys yeah. that they'd want to hang out and drink beer with. So can you imagine being able to go back and drink beer and hang out with your buddies back to episode one? That seems completely normal to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know things change, but depending on the order that they choose to listen to it, I'm not so sure that it matters which way it changes if it goes from point A to point B or point B to point A. It doesn't matter to them. Changes that change, right? This is not a, a binary field, and the experiences right. that you guys are going to talk about aren't going to be binary either. You know, they're, it's going to be constantly evolving, but that doesn't mean, like, if you go back and read any of the stuff I wrote, some of that stuff, I could probably count on one hand the number of articles I've written that I kind of wish I didn't write or I wish I hadn't written, I guess is a better way to put it. But I've never taken them down. And, and I'm yeah. not going to tell you which one they are either. But <laughs> oh, I could probably you tell probably you. could guess one or two. <laughs> no. So what, what made you, I mean, one of the things I think we want to talk about is is who should and who should not be doing this kind of a thing. I mean, I, and I don't, there's no black or white there, but 
But why did you choose yourself to become this voice? Or I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's not the right way to put it because yeah. when, I, when I started, it really was just to learn how to do it. And, uh, and I'll tell you that what, what happened was, so in the beginning, I wrote every day for like a month. I wrote something every single day because I saw it as a, I'm a creative person. At least I, I like to think I am. And I saw it as a creative challenge to sit down in front of the proverbial white screen and go come up with something right every single day. It was kind of exciting to do that yeah. at that point. Eventually it became unbelievably stressful. And I would find myself laying in bed like at two in the morning on a Tuesday, wondering what I was going to write about on Friday. Right. I already kind of had an idea of what I could do for the next couple of days, but then I'd hit a wall and I'm worried about something that is two or three steps removed. And I go, this is insanity. I can't do this. So I went to Q laugh track, the very reasonable three posts a week. And I did that for about three years. <laughs> and again, I don't, again, people ask me, how'd you do it? I have no idea how I did it. I look back on it now and I go, that was insane, but I did it. Yeah. And I go back and I read those ones now. And I know, yes, I do go back and read my own stuff because in a sense, it's, it's very much like a diary. I can, I know what I was doing at certain times in my life. And so I, I get a lot of pleasure from going back and reading those. And, and I'll admit that I read stuff and I go, wow, that was really good. And it's still good. It was good when I wrote it. At least I thought it was good when I wrote it. I thought it was germane when I wrote it. And I thought it was true when I wrote it five or six years later, I read it and I go, it's still true. It's still right. I, I'm surprised that at how the shelf life of the stuff that I've decided to talk about is is has worked out as well as it has. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, I wonder, do you guys have experiences like that? I mean, have you ever gone back and listened to old podcasts and go, wow, that one was a total, we killed that one. That one was awesome. I'm sure you did. I, I, I can tell you what's happened to me, Bob, is when I'm listening to the show after the fact and and most of the t- most of our episodes Evan has edited so I wasn't involved in the process of listening to it over and over and over and over as you're editing but after after the fact I'd be in the car I'd be listening and Evan or Cormac would say something and in my head I'd say something out and it's exactly what I said on the show so I've I've sort of had that sort of experience it's kind of deja vu. Well, deja vu or like, <laughs> yes, I, I, I still feel the same way or I still think the yeah. same thoughts. In fact, I usually think of a better way to say it <laughs> uh, uh, upon reflection. But, uh, but I've had that, ex- that, that sort of experience. Yeah. Or, or I go back and I reflect. I'm like, wow, I really didn't sound like an idiot. <laughs> didn't. I said didn't. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd fall into the category of, I wish I had said this, or this would have been a better zinger, or this would have been fun. I would, I would be reconstructing how I said something over and over and over, but it wouldn't stop me from listening to it. Yeah, I, I, I guess one of the things that that I wonder when I read and listen to things like this um, and the stuff that we're talking about is, do you feel like that that voice? was missing because I, I feel like it fills a certain niche and I don't know that there are many other things out there that, that do. And so, I mean, is that one of the, is it a response to that or is it just something that kind of organically happened and it just turned into that? It's a little bit of both, but I'd say it was more organic and just kind of turned into something. And I was a bit overwhelmed in a positive way on just how positively the site was received 
you know, I've talked to some people who are, I'd say they're in our circles. You know, they're, they're people that we, we run into at national conventions and they've been writing a blog for a good period of time, you know, over a year. And if they get, I don't know, a thousand people in a month, they're feeling pretty good about stuff. Mm-hmm. If I got a thousand people, if I woke up tomorrow and a thousand people came by my site, I would think it was the end of the world. And I'd go, my server must be down or something. Because it was probably the, I think it was the 10th post I ever wrote was, I was in Galveston, Texas, and I had read, I had read an article by somebody who, if I told you his name, you would know who he was. And he had done an interview for somebody, and he was talking about, he was complaining that architects don't get paid enough, which on the surface, I generally agree with. But what I, what I don't agree with is the amount of belly aching that I hear, and I hear a lot of it. And I, I, you know, this is something I'd like to ask you about for later is what type of correspondence you get having a podcast versus having a, a blog site. But he was, he would, I get a lot of belly aching from people who say that architects don't make as much as lawyers or doctors. And it drives me absolutely crazy. And so I was in Galveston, Texas, and I decided that I was going to write an article called the top 10 reasons not to be an architect. And I gave myself 30 minutes to write it. There's like no graphics in it at all. But part of that was the next day I was going to write a second follow-up post called the top 10 reasons to be an architect. And this was kind of my own little pro con list of doing this. So that was, that was the 10th and 11th post. I, I believe that's right. 10th and 11th post I ever wrote. Well, those two posts went viral. And all of a sudden, they're being published on all these websites. And they ended up in foreign language magazines. And I went from having about 300 people a day to about 1,500 people a day, probably within the first month that I started my site. And from what I understand, that just doesn't happen and I, I reflect upon this and I think, had had I started this and nobody ever bothered to show up and read it, I don't know that I would have continued. I think I would have checked the box. I understand what a Google reader is now and what an RSS feed is and how they work. And I might have stopped. But the fact that I did get as much traffic and there was so much engagement, I thought was really cool. So that's probably more than any other reason why I stuck with it. I don't know that I connected the point that I felt like uh, that site was filling a hole that existed on the internet. Mm. But to that end, and I, and I know I'm hogging the conversation, there was, and I don't know if you guys went through this since you have a podcast, but if, if you have a blog and you, you do generic research like, how do I promote my blog a type of search? Well, I hooked, I, I linked it to my Facebook account. I set up a, a Life of an Architect Facebook page and I used this service so that every time I published an article, it would automatically post to my Life of an Architect Facebook page. And after I did that, it popped up this little dialog box, and it said, here are three other blogs that we think are similar to yours. And I just got through reading an article that said that you should reach out to other bloggers and do link exchanges, You know, which is the process of, I put a link to your website on my page, and you conversely do the same thing back for me, and we kind of self-promote one another. So this list popped up, and it was this website, and it actually was a residential and kitchen design blog site. It was the first one on the list. And so I reached out to that guy. Uh, his name was Paul Anitor, and it turned out that that probably was one of the most fortuitous emails I ever sent. 
because at this time, and again, it's early 2010, he was kind of a big deal. And he was really well-connected in the kitchen and bath design community of, I mean, of all these people, you know, let's be honest, architects are so far behind the curve on the social media thing and, and blogging and, and, uh, sharing the information they have and the data with other people out there interior designers, kitchen designers that man, they're for every one architectural site, there's a thousand interior design sites and they might not even be interior designers. They just might be decorators or people that have a, a knack or some style and they're putting this information out there. And architects are really far behind the curve. So I ended up contacting this guy. And next thing I know, he's promoting me to like everybody he knows. And my traffic just kept getting more and more and more and more people kept reaching out to me. And I started getting asked to go travel to places and to speak to groups. And, and I asked him at one point, I even wrote a blog post about it. I said, why are you doing this? Why are you helping me like this? Because it got to the point where I was like, there's something weird happening here because nobody just helps other people like this. I mean, it wasn't just, oh, that was nice. I mean, it was like he was actively helping and promoting and making calls on my behalf to other people. I mean, it was, it was staggering. I'm overwhelmed by it even when I think about it. And it was because he said that the internet needed my voice. And I took it at the time not to mean Bob Borson's voice, but an architect talking about architecture in a way that anybody could be a part of it. That's the way I took it. And that was a watershed moment for me. And I thought, well, I have to do it now. I have to keep doing this. And that's why we started the whole Architalks thing where we're just trying to get anybody who has an architectural blog site, we want to get them to participate so that everybody can learn that there's other architects out there that, that are talking about what we do and how our careers work. I wish more people did it, quite honestly. Or I wish more people did it better. Maybe that's a nice segue into our topic. So, so what do you mean by that? What do you mean you wish more people did it better? I mean, what's the main, what's the, what, what's the goal with Architox? And then what, if you, if you could paint the picture of, of how you saw that vision working itself out, I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, when, when I say I wish people did it better, I, I think, you know, blogs have a, an inherently two-way dialogue built into them. Right, unlike traditional print media, which is one way, you know, somebody writes it, it gets printed in a magazine, you read it, and your only way to interface with somebody is to write a letter to the editor or something. Whereas if I write an article and I post it on my website, somebody can read it and five seconds later send me a message and I'll respond to it. They'll leave a comment on my site. You know, it's instant. There's dialogues that are happening that go beyond the initial content that was created that that spurned the conversation to begin with, or at least the, the comments. And so as a result of that, I, I think all blogs need to be first-person narratives. It needs to be a specific person telling a story from their point of view. And what you see a lot of times, and you see it on Twitter a lot and some of the other social media platforms, you don't know who you're talking to. It's Firm X, and you go, well, who am I talking to at Firm X? Is it the same person I was talking to yesterday at Firm X? Yeah. Three different people, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I go. What if you? What if the three? What Neil? What if you guys were manning some Twitter account and it, and it's just the Arca speak, and they want to talk to Neil, right? So they're is this. They have to go. Is this Neil? You know, who am I? Who do I got today? Who's who's manning the account? And I think that that creates a, a disconnect if you don't know the person you're speaking with. It makes it really hard to form a relationship where any kind of meaningful dialogue can be created. So if you're not talking in the first person, I think that you're you're missing the point of what 
social media is and what the point of a blog is supposed to be. They're not heavily mm-hmm. editorialized. They're supposed to be spur of the moment, real-time exchanges. That's how it's supposed to be. That's the point of them. Anything else is just an article, right? Yeah. Yeah, I find a lot of times people use it as a marketing tool rather than exactly what you're saying is the first-person narrative. They kind of get away from them. They, they're, they're painting that magazine article. They're not painting kind of an, an emotional or a, or a visceral thought or response. Yeah, that well, that's the other point is that people, you know, and I think this is that part of, you know, when I mentioned people are afraid to, when they first start off, that nobody's going to read it. And then if they do read it, that people are going to think they're idiots. I think that's part of it. I think that there's such a fear to actually take that first step or to do this in such a, you know, where you lay yourself bare and, and allow your mistakes to be on display to somebody else, which is something it took me a long time to get used to. I'm still not used to it, but I've realized that it doesn't really matter. So I've, I've found this way to, to balance my, I don't want to look like an idiot with nobody thinks you're an idiot because we all make the same mistakes. We all, you know, everybody's human. Nobody expects perfection. So if I say, two with one O and I should have said two with two O's. I really don't get too much grief about it. Occasionally somebody will send me a message and go, you have a grammar error on your site. And I, I always think, well, you must be new to my site because I have grammar errors everywhere. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, all grammar errors. This must be your first <laughs> article that you've ever read. <laughs> so, but when people try to promote what it is they do as opposed to who they are and why they do it, it comes across as billboard, right? Personal billboard. And that's what I don't, I don't, I think, I don't think that's right. I don't think that people will experience success when they do it in that way. Kind of what we were thinking of when we were thinking of a topic to have a conversation about with you was not necessarily about your blog and, and blogging in general or podcasting or things like that, but why we do it. But also, why shouldn't we do it? And so a lot of times well, you said that, you know, you, you did it because you wanted to learn how to to blog. You wanted to kind of have a creative outlet. And in Neil, th- this is really started off as a Neil brainchild. And he started to talk about wanting to carry on a conversation Kind of like you, you get around with your architecture friends and you're you're talking, you know, and you just have that conversation and it just it it's this emotional and just kind of like really fun conversation about architecture. But you learn a lot about architects and, and architecture through that conversation. And you kind of wanted to carry it on um, through the putting it out on in in the internet. And so we're we're doing it because of kind of the love and the passion for the profession. And there's those kind of pursuits of why we do it. And then there are people who we talk about the kind of more marketing and, and self-serving, but sometimes it's not necessarily self-serving per se. You know, they're, they're just trying to reach out and get drum up business or jobs or things like that. So what is, what kind of, in your opinion is the, I guess the right and wrong way of, of using a blog? Is it, is it for a marketing tool? I mean, your, yours is purely about the passion of, of the profession of your, your passion of the profession. Um, well, what you just said is gets to the, to the root of, I think every time I've given a presentation on this topic, less so these days than the beginning, people want to know what the, the return on investment is like, 
okay, if I'm going to put resources towards this, I got to have some kind of measurable of what I can expect in return. So when I started, I, I didn't have that metric. That was not a requirement. And so it freed me up to be a regular person who happened to be an architect talking about what they did. Now, what's been interesting is despite the fact that I don't treat my site as a source of business development, it has absolutely become a major source of business development for me. And I've struggled really hard with making sure that I don't treat it in the manner that, uh, let's see, how can I phrase this? You don't treat it as a billboard? Yeah, I, I, despite the, so when I, you know, it didn't really turn into a source of business development until I got my name on the door. And then all of a sudden people realized that they could call me and they could hire me. Before I was just some guy who worked in some office. And so the idea that I read this guy's articles, I like him, I trust him, I feel like I know him. These are all things that existed, but no one ever, not too many people thought, well, I'll call him up and hire him, right? Because for all they know, I was, the, I, you know, I'm one cog of many at, at the firm I was working at. But once I got my name on the door, that changed in a fairly substantial way. And I still treat it as a tool because people don't just hire me because I write a blog. What happens is they feel like they know who I am, what my beliefs, what my mores are, what my social values are. And since I do think as a residential architect, that my personality figures heavily into the people that hire me. Cause I go, this is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time and you're going to like what you get at the end. And we're going to, we're going to be happy and work together on this stuff. It definitely gives me advantage because those people, when they sit down, you know, everybody who does research on the internet these days. So I don't think I've been on an interview in the last three years that somebody didn't already know a lot about me. <laughs> and that's both good and bad. Like I said, there's a couple articles on my site that I feel like I should take down, but I told myself I wouldn't take them down. If I thought enough of them to put them up, I won't pull them down. So th to carry on, Cormac, what you were kind of alluding to is when people start to treat these websites as pure business centers, I think it neuters them to the point that they don't actually engage the people in a meaningful manner. And it's not to say that they can't be business centers. They absolutely can. I mean, mine has evolved into that in the most unlikely of ways. But I went about it in such a way that nothing that I do presents itself as a finished product. I mean, I don't know if you guys go to my site often enough, but I don't really show finished photography on my site. I don't ever say, look how awesome I am. Right. It's yeah. always, this could have been better. This is how we did this. Or I share a detail. Or I tell them I'm working on a project here and I didn't know that this existed. There's a lot of openness and a lot of transparency to what we do, and that translates to the people who aren't architects who are reading it. And if you look at a lot of corporate websites, that's not the case. Everything's very polished. It's yeah. very, it's a very finished product. Right. Yeah, I think that that authentic voice is the thing that's missing from so many pieces of, I don't know if they're they're all just sites and blogs and all the different social media and stuff. There, if it is, if it goes to the polish machine that you're talking about, it does. I don't know. It's almost easy to tell reading the first three sentences whether it's going to be like that or not, right? Because yeah. you start to see how similar it is to somebody else's blog who maybe the latest thing is not writing paragraphs. It's writing sentences that, that turn into paragraphs. And, and so then somebody starts to follow that and they start to name their 
their blogs, this thing happened and you won't believe what it is. And then their headlines are five ways to do this. And, and you start to see this homogenous marketing machine run through these blogs and, and that authenticity is completely gone. And, and to me, like that is an instant turnoff. Total instant yeah. turnoff. I don't. I don't understand why that has become so prolific. I guess. I mean, obviously, it works for people to click on those headlines. If if all that matters is people clicking on headlines, but they're never going to know who you are. And I think it would be a disservice, especially because your your website has turned into a business machine that not a business machine, but something that leads business to you. If it weren't authentic. Right. Because then it's like now you have to worry about what you said and what you didn't say. Like the nice thing that you can always rely on is that you've always spoke exactly how you speak. Right. And so people understand, like you said, they understand you. They And I feel like the same thing with our podcast. Like, luckily, with this, it's even harder to go back and edit it. I mean, I think it it's one thing to edit text. It's another thing completely to edit people's actual voices down to something different. And so. Our thoughts are our thoughts, and a lot of times they're really raw thoughts. They were just thought of that second, uh, and they are not something that we spend a lot of time finessing, right, which you can do with words on a website. And so I think it's important to kind of set those ground rules up front uh, if you are looking for that authentic voice on the Internet. And to me, that is a very important aspect to what we do. Well, and that's one of the problems that we have in the profession in its own right is just most people – have an issue with architects. They may not know what that issue is, but they're like, oh, you know, architects are egotistical or they're austere and standoffish and things like Life of an Architect or Archispeak. We try to bring an authentic voice of our passions, our thoughts, our ideas. So we're really not sugarcoating or painting a picture of something lovely and rosy and, and putting, sending it through the, the marketing machine and, and, you know, coming out with something perfect and, and sterile. It's, it's just what it is. It's the ums and the ahs and, you know, crap like that, that we get so much grief. Oh over. no. Oh no. But I, mean, I cut that a lot of that out. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I'd be interesting to see if you didn't edit that out, the, um, the the weird pauses, the poorly turned phrases that get am- amended after you've botched the first attempt, and yeah, sometimes we do that, and sometimes we leave them in just because there's that flow of natural conversation. And you know, Neil made a comment, you know, not too long ago. Uh, we were texting back and forth, and and he, you know, he's just like, you know, these shift, these changes in in your thoughts and stuff, they're just killing me you know i i I can't edit it you know and it's just like he's like he's pulling his hair out because you know we've stopped and then we've changed tact real quick and we changed tact back and and he's just like it it sounds like a choppy edit but no that was you (laughs) just changing your mind (laughs) well you need to quit that obviously was the message quit changing your mind uh oh it it clearly was Uh, well you know it's interesting you talk about the ahs and the ums because one of the things that I did on my site, since, I, since I'm not a good writer, I tried to write like I speak. And I, I, from the very earliest posts that I wrote, I kind of made up my own version of grammar. So I, I used <laughs> versions, like I used yeah. ellipses a lot to, to build in pauses and yeah. parentheses and, and italicized words so that you could understand that, ooh, he's having a conversation with himself right now inside his head. And, or... Oh, that's the equivalent of an eye roll. You know, it was very purposeful 
And the thing that I do find great humor in is if I go back and look at some of those early posts, there are entire paragraphs that are one sentence. Oh, hey, that sounds like me. Like it just doesn't. <laughs> I, I, wrote, I actually wrote a post called So Sorry. It's a, I can't believe I know, I know the names of all of them. Uh, so Sorry, It's a Disease. And it has to do with just how <laughs> bad my grammar is. But I, I don't care. It, it, this is, this is, I'm keeping it real, yo. You're going <laughs> to well, yeah, edit know, that I mean, out for me, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, that yeah. might be the intro. That might be the name of the, uh, the show. <laughs> Keeping it real, yo. <laughs> no, but it, but you know the funny thing is is that that it's exactly how I write. I have parentheses, so I'm talking, and then I have a thought in my head, and that's the parentheses, and then there's the dot dot dot. Oh, and by the way, or I'll drop an f bomb or something like that because that's how I talk. And but I I, I do edit out the you knows. Apparently, I do. Have you ever you-knows. have you ever written a you know? <laughs> You've never... I uh, know. Yeah, that would be... I've never written a... You you'd know. have to seek professional help if that actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm pretty... I, I think I need to anyway, but, you know. Okay, well, let me, let me ask... <laughs> You're killing me here. So meta. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you guys a question. Since we're talking about social media and who should do it and maybe who shouldn't do it, or at least the considerations somebody should go through before deciding to do this do you think the age of the person who's going to take over and and go on an adventure like writing a blog or doing a podcast do you think that figures into the converse into the consideration it depends on what i'm looking for in the content if it's somebody who's just talking about passion i mean passion's ageless right but when i'm looking for somebody who's been down the same road that I have or shared some similar experiences and stuff like that. Sometimes I'm looking for similar experiences, but I, and, and, and yeah, it could be somebody younger, but for the most part, it's just kind of like my peers, you know, my age group kind of thing. I would say, Bob, no, it doesn't matter because we're all on this journey, whatever stage of the journey you're at, there's an audience. Well, that's true. There's an audience for your stage of the journey that's there. And so I don't think, I don't think it matters. I, I would add that just having conversations that I have daily with people, there are a lot of people, all different ages, younger and older. And I, I guess it's all within, I don't know, 10 or 20 years of, of up and down from me. I would say maybe five down and 15 up or whatever, where I wish people would post stuff and save it for people to read because so much of it just stays in people's head. And I have these amazing conversations with people and I wish there was a way to capture those uh, and share them. And there's just so much of that. And I'm not saying it's all gold out there, right? But it's, it's, uh, it, there are, there are so many that I do have that I'm literally blown away by and make me think and make me ponder and go back or wish I had heard that sooner. Or there's, there's a lot of different things, right? And I, and I wish that there was a way to capture that and make it available to people. And I don't know how you make all that work. Um, it's probably would just be a nightmare mountain of, of information, but, <laughs> but there's, there's so much great information out there that people who are younger add to the conversation, a new way to think about something that I would have never thought of. And there's ways that people have been doing things or have an experience that I am just now coming up against that I, I would love it if, if they would 
start dedicating that stuff to some kind of a repository out there. Hey, Bob, one of the things I would like to touch on is that I think what you were mentioning earlier about it, a blog or a podcast being authentic. The first thing that will turn me off to anybody's posts or any podcast is when it goes through that marketing machine, that polishing, not necessarily polishing. I shouldn't say that because we try and do a, a quality show, a quality, a quality audio show. And so the polish is there, but the marketing machine isn't there. And there is a, um, a sense of if there's realism to it and it's your voice, I think that's one of the reasons why your blog is so successful because it is your voice and you talk. I mean, we've all met each other in person and you do talk exactly the way you write full throttle. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would add to that too, that it was in, it's intentional and I'm, and I'm sure it's similar to you. Like if, if you were to put it through that system uh, then it really sets the tone for everything that comes after that, and it's very hard to get away from. And and then you're kind of beholden to to something that you may not agree with later on. I mean, it it's much easier to go the other way around than it is to be beholden to that to that thing, that advertiser, that that way of writing, that that speak that you've come up with. That it, it then kind of sets that tone and that could be detrimental to it, to the whole thing. Well, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you this cause it's, it's, um, in the early days, you know, I made my wife a promise that when I started this, that I would, I wouldn't spend our limited household dollars on this hobby of mine. So when I first started, I, I did take ads, you know, I put ads on my site for a little while. They were never in the body of the articles. They were always sidebar kind of stuff. But I started getting uh, a lot of invitations from other people to write for them. And I didn't particularly like writing for myself, so I never really wanted to do it. And I make a, I make a good living as an architect, so I always I said no. Or I'd throw out some just ridiculous amount of money, and I found that people still said yes to that. And those articles turned out to be the hardest, most bone-crunching, agony I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how much I hated it. And and yeah. I was getting paid good money to write these articles. And I thought that what they want is they wanted me, right? Because they're like, oh, we love your website. We love the audience that you bring the mix. Will you come and write these articles for us and we'll pay you a billion dollars? I was like, absolutely. It sounds like great. But then I would write the first article and they'd say, yeah, you know, then they'd, they'd send it by some editor and they're like, well, we, we, maybe you can change this and maybe you should... You know, I don't know, this is a little redundant right here, and this is bad grammar right here, and I'm not even sure this is a word. And so <laughs> next thing you know, it goes it goes through the machine, right? And at the end, yeah. there's nothing me left, right? It's it's a it's a press release with my name on it. And it got to the point to where I would end up having conversations saying, Why do you have me doing this? Right? Why don't you just hire a copywriter to do this? Because A, it'll be better. B, it'll probably be cheaper. C, you'll probably get it on time every single time because what you're asking me to do is not who I am. It's not my skill set, and I hate it. And it's gotten to the point where I won't do it anymore because it's what the companies who like have the budget to hire somebody to write content for them, what they want is not what I do. And I would challenge – and I think you can tell actually too – like. 
you know, I get asked to promote a lot of stuff, right? Which I never do. Well, I shouldn't say never. I, I got a coffee maker once because my, I told my office about it and they said they would kill me in my sleep if I didn't do it. Cause they all wanted this coffee maker. Um, and I don't even drink coffee. So, but I did it and, but they let me write a post the way I write posts and it wasn't hard and I enjoyed myself and it turned out to be a really positive, uh, kind of piece and they were really happy with it. But then I might get something from somebody who says, Hey, well, here's this, take your photograph and we'll turn it, we'll print it onto a piece of canvas. Like it's art. And uh, if you write this post promoting our product, we'll give one to you for free, you know, and it's worth like $18. And I go, why would anybody sell themselves for $18 uh, in product? It's not even $18 cash, like where you can actually go buy a, a lunch or something. It was a crummy photo on a piece of canvas. My apologies to people out there who have photos on canvas. But I go, who would do that? And then all of a sudden, in the in the email that they send you trying to get you to do this, they have links to other examples, and it's all mommy blogs or something else. And you and it seems so disingenuous, like they're tricking their readers into thinking how much they love this crummy turn your photo into canvas art thing so much that they just had to talk about it. When I know that they got paid to do it, and I can't tell you how how much that how wrong that sits with me. And whenever I come across a site, as soon as they do that, I'm out. And I mean, I'm not just out on that article. I'm out, period. Now, would it have been better if it was not just on canvas, but as like a throw pillow? <laughs> you know, I, I had a very nice woman once who made throw pills that she'd make me throw pills if I put a link in. And I, and I, I go, bless her heart. It's very sweet, but I'm going to take a pass on that. And I probably get 20 offers like that a week. It's maddening. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have ads on the show and I, I feel like a lot of times, well, we've had comments or people are, are even very recently saying your, your ads that you read, they, I, I hate that part of the show and like, we get it right. That, that, but to us, this, this really, especially with, with some of our sponsors, it has been a partnership of them supporting and making the show possible. Sure. And and it is a huge undertaking. I think one of the things that that was commented on was we're supposed to be what what, what did they say? Successful like, architects. We're supposed to be successful architects. I can't believe they're doing this. And it's like, well, we're supposed to be a lot of things. I mean, you could enter anything you want into that sentence and and nobody ever said that that we were or if we weren't. I mean, it's 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 projecting, but it's it's also. But but wait, but, it's, but it's here, one of but those th- this is a clarification. I think it's important. You're not presenting that out to be something that it's not. I, I every yeah. website I go to has ads on it, right? It doesn't don't bother me. It's when when it's presented yeah. as something that's disingenuous, like oh, I love this canvas art thing. When you go, no, you, it's no, that's 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 not right. That's not true. So I don't have a problem with ads as a or supporters or underwriters. I have zero issue with any of that kind of stuff. It's the yeah. uh, hey, I'll give you thirty five dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars if you put a backlink into this article for me, right? And I won't do that. And I, I mean, I'm sure this could have added up to a lot of money over the last six years, but I think it's really important that, and I think people understand the difference between sidebar ads 
But as soon as you start putting something into your content, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I think you've crossed a, a line there. You lose the authenticity. Yeah, and so despite the fact that it has fairly substantial financial ramifications, this kind of high road that I've decided to take, I've not lost any sleep or second guess that decision from day one. And that's why people keep reading it, though. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that people understand that when they make the decision to do that. And here's the thing that people don't understand. So the success I had with my site comes, there's, it's a double-edged sword, right? There's a lot of really crummy stuff that comes along with it. And I, I complain about it a little bit. People who know me might say I complain about it a lot. But I had to move my website from the people who were hosting it for $7 a month to, I pay $1,400 a year for my server right now because of the traffic I get. And that's out of my pocket, you know. It would be awesome if I could easily say, oh, I get an underwriter from such and such, and as, and as a result, they'll pay for my server costs. That would be great. But I, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's a line that I've decided to draw, so I don't do that. Yeah, I think there's always going to be the, that kind of thinking, is, is, is this going to take away some control that I have, right? It goes back to am I beholden to something like, like, do I have to talk a certain way? Do I always have to present something in a certain light? And it takes away all of the burden. If you make that decision up front so that you can sleep at night, you're not worried about anything. Like, like the only, the only limits that you're putting on this are your own, right? So like you said before, you, you would lay awake at night worried about what you're going to be posting on Friday. If you can't come up with something, and again, that was that was your own limitation that you had created at that point where you had decided the schedule and you were sticking with it. And I definitely know what that's like. I mean, I've I've tried a lot of different things over the years on the web and like creating memberships. Uh, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to have people basically continually support me to do this this thing. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh crap! Now I have to do this thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and that that is definitely the nice thing also about the web is you can be flexible with with experimentation but it really forces you to think about kind of the long game and and where you want to take it and and the more constraints that you put in place the harder that becomes to to keep up let's take a break from the conversation and talk about our cat we're all pretty busy and sometimes feel like we could use another hand to help out would you like someone to draw cat details for you create BIM objects, or write specifications? How would you like all of that for free? RCAT is your answer, and RCAT has already done all of this work for you. Search the RCAT libraries for CAD, BIM, specs, catalogs, videos, and more. All of this content created for you, free of charge, and no registration required. Stop registering on sites for content. Just come to RCAT and find what you need. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at ARCAT.com, and don't forget to provide some feedback on the site. There's a button on the right side of every page. Have a suggestion to make RCAT better? Click the feedback button and let them know, and tell them that Speak sent you. Thanks to RCAT for sponsoring this episode of Speak. Now let's get back to the conversation. Well, let me ask you guys a question since you've asked me so many questions. And it kind of goes back to the, I think what the topic is for this chat is, have you guys ever talked about 
you know, if people listen to the finished product, the finished podcast that you write, they go, oh, it was an hour and two minutes, right? Great. That'd be easy. I could spend an hour and two minutes once a week chatting with my buddies to make this cool uh, podcast. But the truth is, is it's not an hour and two minutes. Like you said, it might take you two or three hours worth of recording, and then somebody's got to edit it for God knows how long. And then I don't know if you get emails from people who ask you questions about the stuff they read. And, and when we talk about who should do it and who shouldn't do it and what's important, you know, things like consistency and dedication and sticking to it and that kind of stuff. Part of it's the dedication to supporting the content that you create. Would you agree with that? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you, I mean, for pulling the curtain back here, talk a little bit about what it takes to deliver a finished product. You know, when your podcast, when it's done, what does that represent? And it's, you know, and give me a week of what your time with this podcast entails. Wow. Because the only thing people would be surprised to learn it. Hundreds and hundreds of texts. Yeah, lot, lots I mean, of texts that go back I, and forth throughout the week in in between episodes, right? And and not all of it is uh, exactly show related, but I think it what does go back and forth though is ultimately show related in that we've become great friends over the four plus years we've been doing this, and I think that comes through in the show. We kid each other. We we play around a lot, and 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 much more of that happens outside of the recording booth than than inside. But that leads to it, and and the conversation, the casualness of it all, all stems from all of that other communication that we do. Right, everything you practice, you get better at. So there's that. Then there is sometimes there is the two or three hours of recording to generate that one hour of of show and then there's i would also add that sometimes there are recordings that just never turn into a show yes yeah there's we have done that before as well many many times i still want to go back and do that one show where we kept playing music back and forth (laughs) for like three hours um but uh but but bob to get to your the other part of your question there are emails, there's work being done on the backside, either responding to people or working with our sponsors to coordinate that. There is work being done on the social media side for the postings themselves that that all has to be done and written and posted and reposted continually. Um, that just is moments throughout every single day, all week long, weekends. It, it, it's nonstop, right? And then in addition to that, I don't know how much time Evan spent editing. He's very good and he's much faster than I am. But I can tell you there was an episode this summer. It was one of the first episodes I actually edited myself. And I spent about uh, 19 hours over a, a Saturday and a Sunday. So do the math there. There's, there's not a lot of time in between, especially since the show goes live at nine o'clock uh, on Sunday night. It was pretty much my entire weekend trying. And a, a, a good portion of that is was learning how to do it. But it's it's an all-consuming thing. I'll probably spend anywhere from six to eight hours 
editing an episode. And that's, that's editing, producing, writing the show notes, coordinating, you know, the graphics. We've now pretty much put a, a picture of something that we've, we've taken typically on, on the show notes and then coming up with the, the creativity of the writing for the show notes and then all of the different posts. So all of that goes in and, and then just posting the episode, getting all of that, doing the tags in iTunes. So if anybody out there wants to start a podcast, it can be done. It's far more work than doing, I think, a blog site, which is there's so many more tools available. Like you can go to Medium, right? And boom, in five minutes, you have a blog. And there's not a whole lot of extra work there. But to actually generate and produce a a podcast, it's a boatload more work. Well, how does um? And well, I would, I would add. I'm sorry, there, no, no, no. There is a ton of other stuff that that you once you set it up, you kind of forget about it. But the initial setup took a lot of time and effort to figure out. So, I mean, there's there's the software that you have to learn how to edit it. There's the website design that you have to create, and all the graphics, and all the topography, and all the the copyright and making the buttons work and then there's the stuff like like our show notes like how does that work how does that whole system work how does um an rsv rss feed go into mailchimp and how do you set up the template for that and where does the data go and who does it go to and how do they sign up and so there's a lot of other things that that have been done along the way that obviously we try to automate as much of that as we possibly can to make our our job easier so that it doesn't take more than 19 hours a weekend to do it but all that stuff is added up and so like like really i don't even think there's a way to quantify how much effort has gone into creating a podcast and does that mean they're all that hard no i mean we definitely have a bar that we've set to to make it happen and to make it happen how we want it to happen but there's and there's also tons of personal control kind of being wielded over this whole thing right like we're not having anybody do any of this for us so so that that plays into it as well but i i definitely think that uh that it's way bigger of an undertaking than anybody kind of thinks it is. I mean, it's just like the book that I just wrote. I mean, it was like, holy crap, who would have thought it would have taken that much time and effort to actually do it until you actually do it? And then and then how do you do it well? So I think any new thing that we take on like that is is a huge undertaking that no nobody who who if anybody hasn't done it, they just don't know. And so we've had people actually comment on there was this one guy for a while, I, I'm sure he doesn't listen anymore, but it was like, <laughs> why don't you guys transcribe every show? If you transcribed every show, you would have this many more listeners. You know, I would be able to to tell everybody all no, about no, this. No. And- I could read, I could skim through your, the dialogue in, in only maybe 10 minutes instead of having to waste an hour of my time listening to you. That was his point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, it wasn't delivered very well, but it's not invalid. No, absolutely not. And it's like that's great, but but I mean again, thinking about what it's take what it took to actually get to where we even are. Sure. is a huge amount of work. And now you're talking about having a transcription service go through your thing or are you going to do it yourself or, or are you going to have some system automatically do it for you and it's going to be terrible? That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. All right. So 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 here's my follow-up for cuz we're going deep okay. on this, deeper now than I thought uh we would on this. But um <laughs> but there's three of you on this, right? So how does the division of responsibilities work? Is it ebb and flow? Is it someone 
is busy this week, so someone else picks up their slack? Or, I mean, how does that work? Because, you know, most people who might be listening to this who are considering starting a website or a blog or a podcast, they probably aren't three, right? They're probably just one person who's thinking about doing this. And so if they hear the horror stories about how long it takes for you guys to do it, they look at that and they go, well, that's just one guy of the three. What a, I'm one person. Is it going to take me 39 hours to do it? I mean, so can you talk a little bit about how you guys have figured out who takes on what responsibilities and, and, and how that's worked? Well, I'll start off by saying when we first started, Evan had a lot of experience editing as being a musician and having a, a, a bit more web experience than, than I, at least I did. And so he yeah, put in both. a boatload of work up front in, in establishing the website and doing our first edit and, and continuing to do the edits for the majority of the shows, <laughs> uh, almost like 90, almost what, 90 plus percent nice. of them uh, so far. Yeah. And so, at, I mean, it, it, very early on, Evan was, uh, I think, like after the first episode or two, you kind of threw up your hands and it was like, help on the show notes. So I took over that. I'm still doing those. Uh, even when I edit, I do the show notes as well. Hey, well, hey Neil, uh, the consensus but, is that yeah. Evan is the brains of the three of you. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll confess that. That's the consensus. That's the consensus. Hey, you know what? After editing 90 plus episodes, I'll gladly give him that title. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally but agree. But we've all pitched in at different times. I'm doing more of the editing now. Cormac picked up some episodes when I had a deadline and or and I was going to be out of town. I forget what it was, but I couldn't do it. So we've all pitched in at different times to do different things on the show. So I wouldn't say it is, it is not a one person does everything and nobody else does anything sort of uh, collaboration. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be just the one person. But so, all right. So let me ask you this. So since you all have your individual, say, Twitter accounts, right? If somebody wants to talk, like, Neil, if I want to talk to you, I send you a tweet or Evan or right. me I mean, or Cormac. That's just how it works. So how does the ArcaSpeak Twitter account function? Do you all have access to it? Do you use it just to kind of promote the show? Yeah. Or is there any kind of engagement, you know, meaningful engagement or exchanges that happen on your Twitter account, for instance, to support the, the podcast? So we all have access to the account and we will all respond at different times, depending on who's available to do it. I probably do most of, so if you, if you're tweeting ArcaSpeak on Twitter, it's most likely I'm the one who's responding. Although that's not always true. And there is engagement that happens, maybe not as much as what happens maybe on our own individual Twitter accounts, but there is some engagement. And of course, this summer we also from our Twitter, our ArcaSpeak Twitter account, we hosted the monthly AIA chat. So there is a lot that goes on there as well. And a lot of times we'll have the conversation where it may start at ArcaSpeak, and then we pull all three of us together in our own individual accounts and ArcaSpeak. And so we have kind of this four-way conversation responding back with with all of us. And so we, we pull each other in so that 
you kind of get three different responses or three different ideas or three different attacks of a conversation. So it gets a little bit more convoluted and then there's more names to shorten up the the 140 characters to even less of a conversation, but it kind of, it works sometimes. I would, I would say that most of the time the Arcaspeak account is, is PR for the show. And if somebody tweets the show in that way, we will respond and just say thanks or a retweet here or there or a favorite. But when it actually is a question, I think most of the time we pick it up with our personal Twitter account so that we have that personal connection. Yeah. And then we might still CC Arcaspeak just to keep it all in a thread. But for the most part, it goes individual at some point. Okay, so what would you tell somebody who messages you and says, I want to do a podcast? What would you tell them? Do it. Run. Do it. Do it. <laughs> you know, we need we need more voices out there. We need people with the passion to actually say something about this profession. I mean, you know, we let let's lift the veil. Let's have the conversation. Let's show people that we really give a shit about what we do. And so, yeah, do it. Obviously, the question typically always is: is okay. So now, how yeah, do I do? How it? how often? And then we send them email. Yeah, then we send them Evan's email address, and <laughs> then we go from there. I would, I would also add, though. I mean, something that, based on your previous question about what does it actually take, I, I, it's not like they all take this much work. I mean, and and actually, I've I've thought about it quite seriously. Like, if I were to do it again, how would I do it differently? And I definitely would. But I think we're we're on a road that we've set up, and and we're going to stay on that road. But if there was another podcast, I mean, it is it is more work. The more people, the more hosts you have on the show, the more work it is. And when you have a guest, it it gets exponentially more work. I mean, there's just so many variables that play into that. If it's one person doing a show, that has its its efficiencies, right? If you have two yeah. people doing a show, I mean, that it's great, and it and it doesn't have to be a lot of work. And depending on how you set it up. It really doesn't have to be a lot of work. Like, you can decide one of your rules is we're not going to edit the show, right? We're just going to say start and stop, and we're going to put it out there. That's a valid podcast, right? I mean, it's it's a lot of people do that. So I don't think it has to be as hard as we make it. But at the same time, like, because of the way we've decided to do it, much like your website, it has led to a lot of opportunities that we would otherwise not potentially not have had. And so I think because of the level of attention to detail that we give it and because we show up every two weeks to do it, it has led to things that we never thought would happen. And so, and so again, it just is like one of the reasons to do it is to put yourself out there and see what happens because I want to design my life. Like I don't want someone else to tell me how my life's going to be. And so this is one of those ways that I do that. Okay. So if somebody, so somebody hears that and they go, all right, I'm, I'm still on board. Do they, have you found that recording once every two weeks, is that the sweet spot for you? Or do you think that's the sweet spot for any podcast or, or what about the length? I'm sure you guys get a lot of comments about the length, both positive and negative because an hour podcast, that's a long podcast. And I'm sure that adds to the amount of work that you're doing. It is. And, and I don't, there's no right answer. I don't think, I mean, there's some podcasts that are five minutes. There's some that say, you know, no matter what, we'll stay under 30 minutes. There's some that say we're the 45 minute sweet spot for your commute. I mean, there's, there's no way to know, I listen to podcasts that some of them go for two or three hours. And yeah. the beauty of podcasting is like there's a pause button, right? Like, so you don't have to 
it's not live. You get to come back to it and, and it can be a multi-day thing if you want. Like that's how I, I listen when I drive. That's, I don't listen when I work. There's no way I could do that. I, I have to listen to music or nothing. I can't listen to spoken word stuff. So the only time I get to listen to podcasts and there's a lot of them I listen to, it happens when I drive. So, so I don't think that there is, there are real answers for those things. It, it really comes down to what you're comfortable with doing and what you're comfortable experimenting with and seeing what works for you. Like twice a week works for us. There are three of us. It is really hard to coordinate three schedules. I have four kids. Cormac has three kids. Neil has two kids. I mean, how the, how the heck do we even make this happen for four years? I have no idea how we've done that, but we have. That's why we're recording at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> for you. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's one of those things that you have to think about. Honestly, a week, every week would be great, I think. But, and, and we've thought about ways to try to make that happen. But at the same time, it's, it's also like, it's more work to, to do that. I mean, that's twice as many shows. It's, it's twice as much to think about almost. So if we maybe didn't do all the back end work and we just had to show up and record, we probably could do it once a week. But because we do everything... There's, I just don't see how we could even make that happen. Bob, when we first started, you'll if you go back, you look at some of the times on our episodes, they varied quite a bit. And I think we just spoke until we kind of exhausted a topic, or at least said what we wanted to say. And if we said it in 40 minutes, or if we said it in an hour and 10 minutes, it didn't really matter. And so, but I think that the hour-long format just kind of worked out best for the three of us as we discussed a topic. About an hour was what kind of ended up happening. It just felt right. It just yeah. felt right. And it's rare that that any one of us has to go, okay, time to wrap it up. I mean, it, it does happen sometimes where we try and keep it to an hour, but usually because we start rambling and then it's like, okay, guys, we're about an hour. It's time to wrap it up. So I would say that's just kind of worked out to the right distance for us when we're doing a show. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's change gears here for a moment for the people who aren't thinking about doing podcasts, but still want to be involved digitally in, in some way. They want to be a part of this process in some way. We could talk about Twitter cause we're all on Twitter. We could talk about Instagram. We're all on Instagram and there's, there's companies that are on those platforms, and then there's individuals that are on those platforms, and individuals from those companies that are on platform. And you know that that person's associated with this company, even though they're not tweeting or they're not Instagramming on behalf of that company, right? Sure. So what are your thoughts? Let's take Instagram, because that's one of the platforms that I think that if you're in a creative field, you should be on Instagram. I don't understand why there are people who do what we do for a living that aren't on Instagram. I, that's something that just baffles me to be honest with you. I, I would say, Bob, to, to kind of answer your question or to get to it for, for me, it's all about engagement. If, I mean, it, we probably all get tens and hundreds of followers every couple of months or Bob, for you, you probably get a couple of hundred every week or something, but it, for me, it's engagement. If somebody follows me and they start to engage with me, having conversations with me back and forth, I, I gladly follow them. And then some of them become friends that we end up meeting at conventions or other places. Or sometimes there's people I know, quote unquote, air quotes here, but I, that I've never met, but I feel like we're great friends. And so 
to for for me if they want to be involved in that whether it's instagram whether it's on facebook or whether it's on twitter or even posting to our site uh, you know making comments it's all about engagement for me so if you if you do that and you're engaged then you're part of the conversation but if you're just following to follow and you don't really engage then okay that's fine too but you're not going to get that same level of uh, attention at least from from me I don't know about you guys. Well, let me let me interject something here because maybe this will be interesting. Because at a, maybe we can talk about scale for a moment. So when I when I first started off, and this is this has been true for Twitter, and it was true for Instagram, that when I first started off, and I had fifteen hundred people follow me on Twitter, those are the people that I'm I connected with the most, and it's because there weren't so many that I didn't know who they were. And so my, the amount of engagement that I was able to have with these people was much higher. And as I crossed the 5,000 threshold or the 10,000 threshold, it got to the point to where I couldn't keep up with it anymore. And yes, I'm well aware that you can use third-party applications like TweetDeck or HootSuite to kind of control what your stream is. But I've found it interesting that as, as, the people who follow me have grown. I've been able to connect less with those folks than when I had far fewer people. And the kind of the, the litmus test I have is if you, if you follow me, I'm not going to follow you back. If you engage me, I'll, I will engage you back. And then that's, it's at that level that I start to dial in with people. It's almost like, um, I hate to put it this way, but it's almost like I'll dance with you if you ask me to dance, but I'm not going to ask you to dance. Does that, you know, it's a terrible <laughs> way to put it, but it's it's become it's so big. I don't know how. I mean, and I, relatively speaking, I don't have that many followers on Twitter or on Instagram. I don't know how these other people do it. Quite honestly, you know, there's that kind of social protocol that if somebody retweets one of your things, you, you should say. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate the retweet. And I, I used to be really, really good at that stuff. And starting about two years ago, I just couldn't do it anymore. And my Twitter engagement took a hit as a result of it because I'm not able to follow kind of the social, the expectations that exist between civilized people on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm curious as to say I'm a 26-year-old architecture graduate I'm in my first or second job. I've got two or three years in the bank, and I want to use one of these platforms to increase my digital footprint and help establish myself as a thought leader in my industry, right? These are all kind of buzz phrases that I'm sure we've all heard many, many times. So how does that person do what it is that we do? How, if they look at us and say, these people have experienced success, I should emulate what they're doing. What are the things that you would want to distill down to tell that person so that they could achieve that similar type of success? Part of it's the engagement, but there's got to be more to that, I would think. Consistency and sincerity. Well, you took the fun out of that, Neil, just getting to the right answers (laughs) so quickly. So so fast. (laughs) Just edit that out and let's struggle a bit before we get to those answers. (laughs) As you said, Bob, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to just be succinct. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's definitely uh, the sincerity and the right. I used to tell people that regularity is really key. 
But what I found is interesting is of the people that I follow or that I engage with. So it's interesting that some people will use, say, like Instagram, for an instance. They'll use it and take pictures of their kid doing a cannonball in the pool, and then they'll turn around and take a picture of a welded connection on a project that they're doing. And I find that very interesting. For me, that's much more rewarding than if somebody has these really highly curated kind of themed posts. Like they always use the exact same filter, right? Or, I mean, yeah. you know, there's there's kind of a a formulaic approach to it versus – or the people that – and I, I, I hate this, but I understand why they do it. They'll take a picture and they'll say blah, 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 whatever it is, enter. And then they'll leave a comment with – 500 hashtag words on there. Right. And right. <laughs> which yep. I take that as a sign that someone's looking just to not necessarily to develop the hashtag or to develop their following, but just they're trying to get likes on their picture. They're trying to get, they don't care who it is. They're just trying to make this 15 like photo go to a 500 like photo. Yeah. I don't follow people like that. You don't for, for that reason. Yeah. There's no sincerity there. I don't know why you're doing it, but I'm not interested. Yeah, I think part of the the way that I take on this stuff is I just want to give people a glimpse into what it's like to be me, right? So it it is a, an amalgamation of all that stuff. It's it's my rock climbing, it's my kids, it's my coffee brewing, it's whatever is the thing of the day. Because I want everybody to know that I'm a, a real person and I'm not a curated collection of high art all the time, let alone architecture. I mean, it's it's one of those things where this is the this is who I am, and I'm sh- I'm not. The, I, I hate to say that like this is my brand, but like the, I'm not trying to be a brand at the on those things. I'm trying to be me, even though I guess that's kind of what it is. Is if you want to use that the the dirty word of personal brand. I mean, it really is this stuff that I am interested in. And so I'm not going to curate it down to one subsection of what it's like to be me. Like, because I, I just, I can't even imagine trying to do that. That would be so, I feel like there would be so much left out of, of what makes me up. And, and part of it is like, I am super scattered. I'm all over the place. I, I totally consider myself to be like eggs in all kinds of baskets, not just one basket. So it's not just architecture for me, whereas other people, like I'm, I'm almost jealous of how focused they can be on something, even though I know that would never work for me. But I, I try to give an accurate representation of who I am, even though that's not really what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to represent who I am. I just want to share stuff. In my particular case, <laughs> it's exactly what it is it's instagram which it's whatever strikes my fancy at the moment i mean i have used instagram as a way for me to kind of get over a phobia of i had a phobia of sharing my my artwork with anybody never let anybody see it and i've used instagram because it was received pretty well and people seemed to like it and it kind of so it just kind of stuck and then every once in a great while i keep getting this shot you know hey you've been posting pictures of like stuff that you do throughout your life but where are those uh, sketches that i like so much and so like i kind of almost do it out of duty to you know every once in a great while I'll keep throwing i mean because i sketched every day or practically every day but it's just stuff. And I, I think when I ran through this kind of gamut of 
posting something once every day for 365 days because it was just a way for me to kind of get get over this issue I had with myself of not thinking that my art was any good, so uh, whatever. I don't want to sit on the couch here and talk about that. But so now it's just, it's really just about whatever strikes my fancy at the moment, whether it's driving by and seeing, hey, look, there's a really cool old truck and post a picture of that just because I think it's a cool truck. Not fishing for any likes or anything like that, but just saying, you know, hey, world, here's an old cool Dodge (laughs) and things like that. So I I don't, I, I think the thing that annoys me the most especially on Instagram, because I love following like photographers and the iPhone photographers, the people who are creative with just the medium of being able to take a photograph and instantly put it up and see what they can do with it that way. But when people use Instagram, air quotes of the Instagram, and, and they put up this heavily edited, heavily photoshopped image and then they post it up and say, hey, look what I did. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not really the intent of Instagram. Not authentic to the medium. Yeah. It's funny you say that because that's one of my pet peeves too, is that you go clearly that you took that with on a, a timer with a wide angle lens and you took it into some editing software and then probably emailed it to yourself so that you could post it to your Instagram feed. It's a, It goes back to that disingenuous yeah. kind of, Absolutely. And and, and really, I mean, I use Twitter the same way. It's I'm not as diligent as Neil or Evan on on Twitter as possible as they are. And and it shows because I don't have as many followers. I'm not. I engage people when they personally engage me. But kind of when I see something cool that I like, I retweet. You know, most of it's usually comic book artists and some of the great work that they do but other than that it's you know whatever little blip of crud that's coming out of my head Cormac you don't spend your Sunday afternoons going off about football games like I do (laughs) yeah no no I yeah sometimes I have to quiet yes I I do put a warning in my Twitter feed about that so you know watch out on Sunday afternoons in the fall which I don't understand because you're a Raider Nation guy (laughs) What's there to talk about? Snatching defeat out of the jaws. Uh, All right, all right. Let's not go there on this podcast. All right. (laughs) We should have recorded this Uh, before the Sunday, this past Sunday's game. We don't want Neil to cry. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We may have some more crying before this next episode comes out. So we'll see. He gets very sensitive about his uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Shut the hell up, man! (laughs) Now that shit's coming out. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> All right, Bob. What else you got for us? You're, you're like putting Arcaspeak here on the couch. So, well, no one else has done it before. So, uh, well, I keep thinking about. So, what are the things that people who see what we do? What would they want to well, know? Like, let I, me ask you I, a question, real quick. So, and and you sort of meant you sort of answered okay. it earlier, but I, I was curious, and I, and I wanted to ask you this when before we kind of went on this little stream here you've been doing this now for 770 some odd posts and you've developed your own language you've developed your own kind of like style and things like that but do you now feel it's your duty to keep doing it 
Yes. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, well, I'll tell you this because I get asked that question a lot, no. and, and I apologize for interrupting. But yeah, you know, it's not nearly as fun as it used to be. You know, in the beginning, it was it was nerve wracking and exciting and thrilling, and everything was brand new. And I, I was having to learn software and how do I edit this and how do I upload that and how do I put links into this and how do I, how do I find the way to write the way I would speak so that you can read it and visualize if I'm moving my hands or not? This was so what what takes me an hour to write today took me four hours to write six years ago. I would probably say it took me eight hours per post easy just to write for the first year that I wrote stuff. And think about it. I wrote like on average every three days. So, yeah, it was a little crazy. But the. The thing about it now is it's I, – I, I feel it's important. I feel I have a responsibility to the profession to keep doing it because my footprint for I – can, I can tell you why has gotten to be as big as it is. I feel it's important. And every time I think I, I'm going to quit because it really is the equivalent of having – like right. I work six days a week because I easily spend – Probably for every one hour of writing a blog post, I spend four hours responding to the fallout <laughs> from right. having written a blog post from from emails, from comments to I mean, and it's not just comments on my site or emails to my email. It's comments on Facebook or it's stuff on Twitter or it's stuff on LinkedIn or it's, you know, wherever I decide to share this stuff, there's some kind of engagement. And I feel like I have a responsibility if I'm going to put it out there and someone's going to engage with me on it, right. I have to follow through on that, right? That's that's kind of a social contract that I have agreed to make with the people who have, if they're going to spend five minutes of their life reading something that I put together and then send me a message on it, I feel duty bound to respond to it. And, but the scale has gotten out of control and I just, I can't do it anymore. And so that's been, that's been tough. It's taken a lot of the fun out of it. I told you that I just got through doing a bunch of research on my website for this presentation I'm giving. And there's a lot of really amazing things that have happened as a result of me having done this. I can go to Google Analytics, and I know. It's not that I know it off the top of my head. I, like I said, I literally just looked this up. So there's not a place on earth that somebody has not been to my website. Like, I mean, you think of a place <laughs> other than Antarctic because they don't record traffic there. And Western Sahara, that's another place that Google Analytics doesn't track. Those are the two places. But everywhere else, somebody from that place has yeah. been to my website, which that blows my mind. Google Analytics lets you drill down to other kind of metrics that are really fascinating. And my website's been translated into 400 different languages. And I've had visitors from, uh, as of yesterday, uh, 30, I'm going to get it wrong now. Uh, 39,990 wow. cities on the planet. That's, that's mind boggling. You know, and I'm, I'll meet somebody, I'll go to a convention or to some AI event and somebody will walk up to me. And this happened to me last year. It was a guy who went to school in Mexico city and he graduated and he came here to find work. And he said that he started reading my website the year before he went to architecture school. And he, he goes, everyone in my school read your website. And he goes, there's a whole generation of people that are coming out of architecture school and they all know who you are and they know this website. That blew my mind because I'd never thought about it 
like that before. <laughs> yeah. And now's when I thought, oh my God, don't screw it up now. Right. Which before is just me sitting on the couch doing whatever I felt like. And now I have so many people that are reaching out. But kids, I, I added up, to, uh, it's, it was something, it was like 26,100 and something, something emails that I've responded to in the last six and a half years. I go, just think of the amount of time and effort. And I go, that's a big part of why there's a community of people who engage on my yeah. site because nobody's on an island, right? So if, generally speaking, if you leave a comment or if you send me an email, chances are really, really good that I'll respond back to you. More so in the first four or five years than now. Now, I, like I said, I, it's hard for me to keep up. So there are people whose emails that I'll save and mark that I need to respond to this one. And it's been a year and I haven't been able to, it, you know, it's been pushed onto page six. Uh, and I, I don't see it anymore. And it's, so it's out of mind, but I know it's there because I see it in my unopened email count, right? And it's what makes it hard is, and this isn't, oh, poor Bob, let's feel sorry for him for a minute, but it kind of makes you feel like a jerk, right? Because each one of those emails, it's one person. They don't know about the other 26,000, right? They just know that they have a question or they feel lost or they need some help or they want some guidance. And here's a guy who stuck his head up. And I don't think they're asking me because I'm a genius. I think they're asking me because they found me, right? There's not that many people they feel like they can ask this question to. So they just want help and they email me and I feel like, I need to answer that question. It's not unreasonable that they're asking this question, but I can't do them all. I can't answer 100 emails a day. I literally don't have the time to do that. So that's part of the reason it's very selfish of me to go, I wish more people did what it is that I'm doing because then maybe we could spread the wealth out and we can, all these people that are so interested in becoming an architect, I want them to hear from people who are having positive experiences in the field, not just the really loud minority that says, I don't like it or it treated me poorly or I can't find work or whatever the case may be. I want people to hear that I've always had a job. I've gone through three recessions now and I had a job through every single one of them. Does that make me lucky or does it make me good at what I do? I don't know. It's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. But it's not a horror show for everybody. And when people say architects don't make enough money, I think we touched on this earlier, but we didn't really take it to a conclusion. I'm sure Neil or somebody diverted the conversation but yeah probably probably is probably is people go architects don't make enough money and i go you know what we do really well do we make the hot i mean if you think about where minimum wage is at or the average salary in this country is or if you look at what school teachers make or or you know literally pick almost any other profession other than brain surgeon and trial attorney and we're doing really good for that for that group and I feel really kind of, it makes me a little sick to my stomach when people think that because we went to school and it takes a long time to get our degree and we have to take a bunch of tests and they're kind of hard, all of a sudden that entitles us to yeah. a bigger paycheck. It doesn't work that way. You know, nothing in life works that way. You get paid commensurate with your skill and your abilities. And if you have something that people need, you're going to get paid for it. And so whenever somebody says, I can't find work, and this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. If people go, I can't find work or I don't make enough money, I always go, well, maybe the problem isn't the profession. Maybe the problem is your role within this profession. And I'd rather attribute that to a skill set than to castigate some person into, uh, you know, that they're not good at their jobs. Maybe they're not doing the right job. Maybe who they think they are is not really who they are. They haven't figured out what their skill set is yet. But 
yeah, so I feel a responsibility to keep doing this and it it and it's um I was going to ask you this question, do you do you see a point down the road where you think that you're going to stop making these podcasts? Cuz I keep thinking one of these days I'm going to stop writing life of an architect, but then I go, I feel like I can't. Oh, that's a good that that's that's a really good question. I don't think we've hit that point yet, but I but I definitely I think about that when it's eight o'clock on a Sunday and I'm just wrapping up an edit and I'm like, do I really want to keep doing this? So yeah, those, but I think those thoughts enter just about anything, right? I mean, we, I just finished three large projects and we just submitted and the day or two before that submittal date, you're thinking, oh, I'm just so tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore, but you do it. And you keep doing it because nothing in this life is easy and you have to work at it. And it's just part of the deal. But whether or not we, I I keep, I see us doing this forever. Probably not, but I'm not sure where that point is where we stop. And and at least for me, I'm not there yet. Maybe you you guys will be like that um, Van Halen or something and Cormac's going to drop out and you guys are going to want to keep the group together so you're going to have to like replace him with somebody else. You you ready for the call, Bob? You're not ready to get off the gravy train. Then we could have the reunion tour. Are, are you applying? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? No, 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 no. You know, give me a call if I ever decide to stop doing Life of an Architect. Maybe I'll have a void to fill, but yeah, you know what? I'll tell you this as a, as a kind of added piece to that. When I switched from seven articles in seven days, like when I was writing at that rate, and I thought it was going to kill me after a while, and I went to three. Going to three felt like cake, right? It was so much easier than doing seven, and I did that for years. And and my blogs coincided with the recession. So part of the reason I stayed with it was it was a creative outlet for me at a time when – I would go to work and I didn't have eight hours worth of work to do every day. So this was a way for me to add another arrow to my quiver. So it was a creative outlet. But then things started getting busy again. And probably about two years ago, I went from three posts to two posts. And man, that really felt great, right? I mean, two a week, that's super easy. And then about a year and a half ago, I went to one post a week and the thing that comes to my mind every single time is I go, how in the hell yeah. did I ever do three a week for three years? And it seemed easy at the time. At the time, I go, this, it was a piece of cake. And now there's, there's, there's no chance. I mean, there's just literally no chance. Do you feel like the one's got to like really count, though? No. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, your posts are pretty long. I mean, honestly, they're... There are a decent amount of words, and you've got pictures and stuff in there. And, I mean, there's other blogs out there where it's one or two sentences, and they, they post every day. But, I mean, you must have, like, some kind of a construct that you feel like you've got to kind of fill. No, it's because I, I suffer from logorrhea. <laughs> it's a real word. Look it up. Yeah, so when I, so when I sit down and I write these posts, I, I feel like nobody wants to read them, right? that they want to look at pictures. So my formula is really, really straightforward. And uh, most people, if they've been to my site with any regularity, and if they decided to think about it, they'd figure this out really quick. My formula is write a couple sentences that just kind of says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then put a picture in. And then write a paragraph that describes what's in that picture. 
and then put another picture in and then describe what's in that picture. Continue for however many pictures I need to get you from starting to end and then say, well, there you go. That was it. Awesome. See you later. That's the formula. And so I think my posts average somewhere between about 1,200 and 1,500 words each, but it's not uncommon they get up to 2,000. And these aren't highly crafted words. I mean, one of the things that, that I do is my posts are not editorialized. I mean, I sit down, I mm. write, and I stop, and I hit publish. And frequently the next day, I'll have to go in there and I'll reread it, and I'll go, what, what happened there? Or just something weird has happened. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I'll write something, and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty good at typing. You know, AutoCAD has gotten me to be a, like a, a solid eight-finger typer. <laughs> but I'm my, I think faster than I can type. Yeah. And a lot of times I think along two lines, and I can only type one line, yeah. two th- trains of thought. And so sometimes things are a little disjointed, or there's really egregious grammar issues that are going on. And... I'll go back in the next morning and reread it and go and be horrified and go back and change a couple of words. But I generally don't rewrite it because I don't have time for that. So the the process of creation is is binary for me. It starts and then it goes until it ends, right? I don't have a bunch of posts that are in progress on my website right now. The one that published while we're recording, it, it published like 45 minutes ago. I wrote that while I was waiting to get on this call and it published at midnight, my time. And I'll probably sit down and write the next post that comes out the day before that one comes out. And I won't know what I'm going to write until I sit down and go, what am I doing? I mean, that's how I find my content now is I take whatever it is that I'm, I'm, and that's part of what makes it fresh and makes it honest, I think, is I talk about what I'm actually doing. I don't know what else I could do. Yeah, You know, I'm not clever enough to have an editorial calendar. That's very much how we approach our our show too. We've tried uh, sometimes a couple of summers ago when we were having some trouble coordinating our vacation schedules and recording schedules like, oh, let's pre-record an episode a couple of weeks in advance or maybe a month. And it, yeah, that's just never happened. It just can't. It's it's like you said, Bob, it, it, we just, we sit down, we record, we talk about what we want to talk about and we're done. Now, clearly with this sort of show, there's some some post-production work that has to go on, but uh, it's not just as simple as turn it and post it, but that's kind of how we do it as well. And I think that that lends or or gives to our, our successes that we've had. So do you think to the people who might be listening to this, whose names aren't Mrs. Phelan or Mrs. Pan, but do you think the people that are listening to this, do you think their takeaway is the spontaneity of the creative process? Because both of us are saying the same thing, that whenever we create something, the fruit of that effort is in that moment. Like when you sit down to do it, that's when it comes together. There's not a lot of upfront research. There's not a lot of, I'll say this, and then you say this, and then that's when you should come in with this point so I can follow up with that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's not that going on. It's very organic. I mean, we we build the show as as water cooler talk, right? So it it honestly is that. And so I I feel like people just want to show up at the water cooler and see what what's going on today. And so while there is no 
grand scheme for a story arc, there definitely are, are threads that pop up here and there that keep that continuum going that I think people find some interest in finding out what happened with this or that. And those, those just show up naturally. But overall, I think it's just because, and, and we hear this from, from especially people who've been around the profession for a long time. I just turn you guys on so that we have something to listen to because I feel like I'm back in studio again. And, and that's incredibly gratifying to me to, to understand that that is one way that people listen to this show. Your studio must have been a lot different than mine. There were a lot of fart jokes in my studio. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's the stuff we edit out. <laughs> yeah, and the joke was, I just did it. You know, not that <laughs> there's not a funny story there. So, <laughs> Yeah, you'll take that out, right? <laughs> sure, I will. You bet. So, you bet. So, Bob, what, what? maybe we can wrap this up here with, with a couple couple final questions but i'm wondering like what are you interested in i guess where are you interested in taking it or what are you interested in in getting better at i mean something along those lines if if you can apply something like that to where you're going well i had a goal when i first started off that through the act of doing this that i would become more succinct with how i made my points i'd be and i already blew it right (laughs) Just then, I kept talking. I should have stopped right then. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm not very good at editing my thought process. And I think this has to do with, you know, I think architects, uh, at least creative architects, are radial thinkers, right? So if you give me a problem, I'm going to work my way in from the fringes on all sides until I kind of reach a balance of all the moving parts, right? It's it's not linear. You know, my wife, who's got her advanced degrees in math, she's a very linear thinker, right? So she can track from step one to step 20. And if something went south on her, she knows how to back up to go in a different direction. And because I think the way that I do, it makes me a good architect, I think, but it makes me, and it makes me a good storyteller, but it makes me a bad writer. It takes me five times as many words to say something than it should. And I keep thinking that through the act of doing this, I'm going to get better at that. It just, it just hasn't happened. And I, I, maybe I should just give up on it. I mean, that's like the beauty of the Southern storytelling. It's, you know, you're Texan, man. You, you can't just give directions like, Oh, you go that way. Then you turn left and you turn right. There's gotta be a dog on some porch. There's gotta be like grass growing up through some parked car and all that other stuff. And you've got to tell the story that leads you to where you're going. And and that's the beauty of, I mean, that's what I've always found is the beauty of just your blog post is that it's not just, okay, here's a picture. Here's some really boring words to go with the picture. It's the story. It, it, it's the, the weaving and the, in the intertwining. That's, and that's uh forget the succinct, succinct crap. It just doesn't work for you. And it shouldn't. Clearly it doesn't. I, I, I think I've let that ship sail. There's a, the, phrase, the phrase in my office, if you ask me what they'll say, that the, the way they put it is, if you ask me what time it is, I'll tell you how to build a clock. <laughs> you know what? And it, it, it'd be funny if it didn't hurt so much. <laughs> it's funny but because it's true. It, it is we're, true. We're not laughing at you. We're, wait, no, we're not laughing with laughing you. We're laughing at you. you. Yeah. Get get the <laughs> joke right. right, Cormac. We have an open office, open floor plan in my office, 
And so we're a small office. There's, there's eight of us and I can shoot every single person with a rubber band and I could probably hit two or three of them with the same rubber band in the same shot. (laughs) And so there are moments to where it's almost like, all right, everybody put your mouses to the side. It's story time from grandpa Bob. And I've got some yarn I got to spin. And like, and I think one of them, we have a guy in our office and he actually was live tweeting it one day because I just decided I needed to tell everybody why I thought leprechauns were jerks. Oh my gosh. I need to hear this story. <laughs> it's they, I look, I got my reasons. And, uh, <laughs> and so literally I'm looking around and I realize, okay, my name's on the door. And we bill hourly in my office. And I realized I've shut every human being in our office down so they can listen to me talk about leprechauns. And, uh, but I still finished my story before, before I, uh, I quit, but that's just part of it. And I think that if we circle way back to the beginning, I think that's part of the reason my site has been received the way that it has. And that is that it, it's anecdotal in nature. It's not technical. There's not a lot of jargon. You don't have to be on the inside to understand what I'm talking about. My my writing style is conversational, and my delivery is anecdotal. And not everybody can do that, and I honestly didn't know that I could do it. I'm not sure that I, I do it with success all the time, but there's a frequency to it at the very least. And so I'll tell you that the the blog posts that I read, the blog sites that I go to, the ones I enjoy the most – are that way. My website is what I want from other websites, uh, which is part of the reason I do it the way I do it. And those are the ones that I like. So my, my advice to people is if you're going to, if you're going to start a blog, you, you have to be prepared to put yourself out there. You have to be prepared to, to not act like you know everything. You have to humanize yourself and it's okay to to be a hundred percent who you are. So like, let's say that you like architecture, cat juggling and crocheting, you know what? And you think that you're so unique that nobody's like you, right? Guess what? You're completely wrong. There's a jillion people out there that like those same weird things and they will find you and you will create this community of like-minded people. and, And you'll find that you'll achieve things that you didn't set out to achieve when you started. It's the whole like reading a book on how to raise a kid, right? That book only works for the guy who wrote it because that was him and his kid. Your kid's going to be different, right? So if you wrote a book on how to raise a kid, it, it, it's only for you, right? At least that's what I think. And I think blogs work in that same way, that you have to find a way to, to make people want to come into to return, I don't know if you guys have the ability to do this. This is something else I thought was kind of cool. So again, on Google Analytics, it will tell you, as long as people don't clear out their cash or their cookies, it'll tell you how many times they've been to your website. And I remember looking at this once, and this was, I don't know, a couple years into it when I first really started to, to drill down into Google Analytics and all the like really creepy, cool stuff that, that you can discover from that site. And I realized that I'd written something like 300 articles but I had like 10,000 people, 10,000 plus people who had been to my website more than 600 times. Wow. And yeah. I couldn't understand that. 
and I go, why would somebody come so often? I I mean, I get if they've read every single thing I've ever written, right? But I'd only written like 300 articles. Why were they there more than 600 times? Is it there showing other people what you're doing? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm, hey, I'm, check I'm, this guy out. Well, clearly there's an answer to that, but but I, but that's that's part of it. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a blog and you're gonna create this narrative, hopefully first person, anecdotal in nature kind of website, the fact that those people are coming back more than once, that's really telling. And the fact that they come back so often means that they're engaged in you, the person, not necessarily what you, the person, is doing, right? Mm. And, and that's really kind of, I mean, that's kind of, we should take a moment and let that kind of sink in a little bit, right? Because what that means is people are connecting to to the process of the individual. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I used to, when I'd go on vacation, when I was publishing a lot, I didn't want to go a week without putting something on my website. So I would line up guest writers, people to post something while I was on vacation. And I found that nobody wanted to read them, that I really... It's almost like it was worse when 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 I put a guest post on my website. So I quit it. And what I realized is because people aren't coming to my website for because they're really interested in, in how important front doors to your house are. It's because they want to know what why I think front doors to the house are important. And that was kind of a watershed moment. That was kind of a, an epiphany when I realized that it had gotten to that point. It was pretty cool. Well, thanks for sharing your behind the scenes, man. This has been this has been really fun. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to take away from this behind the scenes of your your blog and the podcast and kind of why we do what we do and what motivates us and what's kept us going for so long. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of parallel stuff in there, but there's a there are a lot of differences too, and it's interesting to hear kind of different perspectives coming from from these two different sources, at least, that we've got here tonight. Hey, guys, I've got, I do have a really good idea. If we're starting to run short on um, topics, we yeah. need to start scalping his site. <laughs> I thought we'd been doing that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saying we were going to do it in the future, not that we've already done it. Oh. <laughs> Come on, be cool, man, be cool. Keeping it real, guys, just keeping it real. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that. but you know what? Uh, I would encourage you to do that. And and the reason is, is because the things that are on my website, we've all done it. That's people can relate to them. Right. So it's not like this is some unique topic that I've covered it. If I talk about a tack board, I'm sure you guys have tack board stories as well. Actually, I think we might've talked about a tack board or a whiteboard uh, last, last week when we were talking about the office layouts. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, we all like to think we're unique and individual, but yet at the same time, we all have a great many similar experiences in our development. Very true. Yep. Very true. Uh, Neil's mama says he's special. <laughs> Had to go there, didn't you? Had to do it. <laughs> of course. It. All right. Well, hey, before we go, I want to give a shout out to our cat. They're helping to sponsor this show, so want to give them a shout-out. Thanks to them. I know that's a service that uh, Cormac uses practically daily. So Quite often. It is uh, something we... Yes, something we use. And then also, too, just want to remind everybody for links to our catalog of episodes, 
visit our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com. At the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter that includes links to everything we mentioned in the episode. Between episodes, join the conversation by leaving comments at arcaspeakpodcast.com or on our Facebook page or even on Twitter. Links for all of those can be found at visiting the site again, arcaspeakpodcast.com. And special shout out to Bob Borson for joining us on this epically special episode of Arcaspeak. And everyone, thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Or good morning. Or good morning. (laughs) That is true. All right, so what happens next? It's a slow road, but you have to walk it. You can start now, or you can hang your head in despair. It's the only road will take you there.
We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.